This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Eric Roper, and we're currently here in South Minneapolis at Lindale Farmstead Park. It's very serene. You can hear the birds in the background, but it's just before 1 p.m. And this is the first Wednesday of the month, and that means that this siren, which I'm standing beneath, which is probably about 20 or 30 feet tall, is going to start going off any minute now. That's what we're talking about today, is what is the history behind tornado siren tests? And it turns out it's actually a very fascinating history dating back to the Cold War and fears of annihilation from a Soviet atomic bomb. It's starting. Could it be that this speaker doesn't work? It would appear there's no noise coming out of the siren. I guess this is why they test the sirens, because this one is not working. The speaker above me is, is actually starting to put out some noise. I'm going to have to inquire about what that means. Okay, listeners, I'm sorry for that uneventful intro, but I was able to confirm with the city of Minneapolis that this siren was suffering from a bad battery, a condition that was flagged during the regular test. See, that's one reason why we have siren tests. My guest today is Dave Kenny, who has written about the history of civil defense in Minnesota and will chat with us about the international fears that spurred the creation of siren networks here and around the country. But first, let's hear from Andrew Ingen, who asked this question. So when maybe you start asking or wondering about why we have the tornado drills at the first Wednesday at 1 o'clock, because it was the first Wednesday at 1 o'clock. So one went off, as always, at that time. I think it was probably the first one of the year. So, of course, I don't know, I just kind of was thinking, I like the Curious Minnesota section. They always seem to have good answers. So I was like, here's a good one to throw at them. How come millions of people all look at their clocks and their calendars all at the exact same time, all because of this, and it's a little excessive seeming, having so many tornado drills? So I just figured, was there some horrible disaster? Like, what happened? Why do we do this? And I throw it out curious Minnesota to let me know. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. So to really start talking about this issue, I guess we have to go back to World War II, right? Because sirens were something that the public was becoming more accustomed to during that period. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that's true. During the first couple of years of World War II, the whole idea of protecting the public from a possible enemy attack, whether it was Nazi Germany or Japan, became a real concern. And the siren network that developed during that period was probably our first real taste of how that was going to go. Okay. And so we had like a, a large siren on top of a building downtown, but it wasn't really an extensive thing until later on. And so we have to talk about why civil defense became such a big topic. So what happened in 1949 and after that, where this became a big part of the public consciousness? Well, I think basically what happened is the Soviet Union got atomic weapons. Up until that point in 1949, we at least could take comfort in 
the fact, if you want to put it that way, that the United States was the world's lone atomic power and that we were on top of the heap that way. But in those few years after World War II, tensions start building between the United States and the Soviet Union and the Soviets eventually test their first atomic bomb in 1949. And so all of a sudden, we see ourselves as potentially vulnerable to that type of attack when we weren't before. And perhaps during the war, you know, coastal cities would have felt like they were on the front lines. But in this case, Minnesota felt like it was on the front lines. Why would that have been? Well, I guess that would have been because of the development of uh, long-range bombers that the Soviets developed. And it was a fact by that point in the late 1940s that theoretically the Soviets could send bombers armed with atomic weapons over the North Pole and over the Canadian-U.S. border and attack U.S. targets, including those in Minnesota. And so obviously that was hypothetical, but it was now possible that that could happen. So yeah, Minnesota was on the front lines of this new potential type of warfare. And and so at what point do we start to see the creation of civil defense agencies? Because at some point we end up with them at sort of all levels of government. So when did that start to materialize? That was about 1950. I think toward the end of 1950, the federal government created this new agency, the Federal Civil Defense Administration. Not long after that, states started instituting their own, including here in Minnesota, and what ours was called was the Civil Defense Department. So by 1951, we had the federal government and state governments working in tandem to come up with ways through these civil defense agencies to protect the public from a potential nuclear attack. When do we start talking about sirens as an important part of the equation here? What what is and what is their purpose initially? I think we date the siren network probably to 1954. During that period during the early 1950s, there was more of a sense that or at least the government was telling us that we'd be able to survive an atomic attack if it did happen. By 1954, we We had a new reality, and that was basically the development of the hydrogen bomb that both the United States and the Soviet Union had by 1953. And so the thinking on civil defense shifted from basically hunkering down, duck and cover, to evacuation, that we have much more powerful weapons now, and we have to start thinking about getting people away from the potential target areas, which in Minnesota's case, we were thinking about mainly the downtown areas. And so evacuation became the number one goal in civil defense and the way to ensure theoretically that people were going to be able to have time to get out of town was if we had some way to warn them that an attack was coming. And the system they developed for doing that was this network of sirens that was built around the Twin Cities and elsewhere. Okay. And so the idea was that these things would go off and you would hear maybe a different type of sound based on what you were supposed to do. But most importantly, you were supposed to seek more information, right? From say the radio? Exactly. That was, The radio was at that point then became an integral part of this civil defense evacuation plan, basically. 
And you weren't just going to turn on the radio and hear top 40 station and, you know, they'd break in. It was actually like everything goes dark except for one or two stations, right? Right. And that those stations were basically given the job of getting that word out to save as many people as possible. And in the Twin Cities here, one of those stations was WCCO Radio. And uh, we actually have some audio here that was uploaded by radiotapes.com of one of the broadcasts that would have gone out in the event of an emergency. This is from Howard Viken, a WCCO announcer who recently passed away. And it's just fascinating to listen to it in today's context. Uh, let's just give that a listen. Here is a special and urgent message for you. This is Howard Viken, your official civil defense announcer. Civil defense authorities have determined that it is advisable for all persons to leave the city. Your safety and perhaps your life depends on remaining calm and following these instructions. Do not attempt to cross town. Leave the city immediately by the shortest route. Absent members of the family will rejoin the family after they leave the city. Federal authorities have indicated an enemy air attack is probable. We are not certain that it definitely will come here, but there is a chance that we will be attacked. So obviously this question is about testing. And so what do we know about the origins of testing these sirens and sort of the purposes of that and why it was necessary to do it? The federal government in 1954 came up with this plan called Operation Alert. And the thinking behind it was that if you're going to have a network of sirens, you have to make sure that they're going to work when you need them. And the federal government recognized that it probably wouldn't work real well to just tell states they had to do this without some support. So the federal government supplied money to do so. But starting in the summer of 1954 with this Operation Alert in Minnesota and most other states, there started this regular testing pattern of once a month, making sure that these sirens worked, hopefully getting people used to the idea that they're going to be hearing these as tests and get them used to the possibility that uh, they could be set off by an actual attack. And so this started in the summer of 1954. And in Minnesota, it eventually developed that it was the tests were going to happen on the first Wednesday of each month. And eventually, not only the first Wednesday, but at 1 p.m. And that's the system that continues to live to this day. And Minneapolis's civil defense director said at the time, another reason for doing the test, in addition to the obvious, was that the federal government had helped pay for them. And this was one of the requirements. So that's sort of the one of the basic answers to the question about why we started testing to sure. begin with. But then as we move into the 50s, how does civil defense evolve? Because as you've noted in your writing, it wasn't always consistent about what the threat was and what we were responding to. No, definitely, because the threat did evolve. You know, we had the development of the hydrogen bomb in you know, 1952, 1953, but by 1957, we have another big change that completely throws throws up into the air the planning that had been done before that. And that's basically that the Soviets develop intercontinental ballistic missiles and they send Sputnik into orbit. Now, all of a sudden, the Soviets have the ability to launch an attack that will arrive in the United States within a matter of minutes, as opposed to a matter of hours. So all the planning we had been doing 
up to that point, much of it doesn't, doesn't seem to make sense anymore. If a missile can arrive within minutes of being launched in the Soviet Union, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to depend on a siren network because people aren't going to have time to do anything about it. So at that point, we start seeing more of an emphasis on things like fallout shelters and that type of thing. So the sirens is part of the network to protect us against Soviet attack, start taking a back seat. Okay. And so as we move later on in this era, these become more for outdoor weather and things like that. Was that because the threat was subsiding or just because we found some other uses for these sirens? Well, I think maybe a combination of the two. They were becoming obsolete as far as protection against the Soviet attack. But I think there was also the growing realization that in a place that experiences fairly frequent tornadoes, for example, that the this network could do a lot of good to help people get to shelter in time to protect themselves. And then how long did civil defense sort of stick around as a piece of terminology? And does it live on in some way in our existing governments? Probably people aren't used to hearing the term civil defense as much anymore, but civil defense has evolved and and continues to be a part of our life here, more along the lines of severe weather. But, you know, it did start phasing out as a term that referred specifically to, I guess you could say, warfare. By the 1970s, the public fallout shelters that had been built back in the late 50s and early 1960s were starting to be forgotten about. Kids were raiding them and pulling out food and crackers and even mm-hmm. drugs from the, the <laughs> medical supplies there. Right. And by the, I think probably by the late 1970s, when we talked about civil defense, it was almost exclusively as far as weather was concerned. Okay. And now we probably know some of these agencies more as emergency management, right? That's sort of the term of art these days. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, Dave, thank you so much. This is some helpful context around an issue that is not that long ago and yet feels very foreign to us today. Yeah, so I appreciate true. you giving us some insight into it. Sure thing. So we've talked a lot about history today, but before we go, let's talk about the current role of these sirens. Henneman County's Emergency Management Director, Eric Wagi told me that the monthly siren tests have a dual purpose. They acclimate the public to the sound of the sirens, and they ferret out sirens that have stopped working, and that's in conjunction with regular non-audible testing. When it's not the first Wednesday of the month at 1 p.m., a siren is a warning to get inside and seek further information about the emergency. Tornado season in Minnesota peaks between May and August. Emergency alerts are increasingly being broadcast directly to smartphones, but Wagi said that is a very fragile system that can be easily overloaded or damaged in a severe weather event. And while the sirens are associated with tornadoes here in Minnesota, other parts of the country use them to warn of tsunamis, earthquakes, flooding, wildfires, and hurricanes. That's it, folks. Remember, we want to hear all your feedback about the show as well as any questions you want answered at curious at startribune.com. And if you like the show, please do me a favor and tell a friend. Two friends would be even better. We want to get the word out about Curious Minnesota. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.